came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves. Radio waves. She sees radio waves. Radio waves. Astrophys brings the news. Arrays and dishes get different views. Are you confused? Radio waves, radio waves, radio waves, she sees radio waves, she sees radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. My name is Brendan O'Brien, and in a world that's changing rapidly, we are making a change to our podcast format, so you'll keep getting two episodes side-by-side each month. We're splitting our content, so one episode each month will be dedicated to a new guest interview in the fields of radio astronomy, optical astronomy, space science, or particle physics. Also each month, you will get your regular presenter, Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave, in a separate episode where who will preview a sky guide for you for the coming month. And he will also take you on an astronomical journey of discovery in Ian's Tangent. So this is episode 104 with Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave. We are also starting each episode with a community service announcement. First of all, wash your hands very well and often, and isolate as much as possible as we work our way through the coronavirus crisis. Also, climate change is real and accelerating, and we need to keep coal in the ground and urgently transition to renewable energy sources. See what you can do to influence your local politicians to develop planet-saving policies. And a big shout-out to Rami Mandau at spaceaustralia.com, where all your space news never sleeps. So let's cross over to Adelaide and hear from Ian right now. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Monthly Sky Guide for the Astrophys Podcast. This month our Sky Guide runs from May 16 to June 16. In this monthly period we lose Venus, gain Mercury in the evening twilight, Jupiter and Saturn rise higher in the evening sky and Mars encounter for the moon twice. We also have a very poor number eclipse. So let's start looking towards the western twilight as we have in the previous episodes. Western twilight now looking around 30 minutes after sunset. Venus is getting lower in twilight as it's moving away from bright LNAP, Theta Tauri, the tip of the horns of Taurus the Bill. Venus is a distinct crescent shape in even small telescopes and strong binoculars. During the coming weeks, Venus sinks lower to the horizon as Mercury rises. On the 21st in the Northern Hemisphere and the 22nd in the Southern Hemisphere, Venus and Mercury are less than a finger width apart. The Northern Hemisphere has the best view, being around about two hand spans above the horizon, so the Southern Hemisphere is half an hour after sunset. On the 23rd in the Northern Hemisphere and the 24th in the Southern Hemisphere, 
the moon forms a triangle with Venus and Mercury. Now you'll need to have a, have a clear level of horizon like the ocean of the desert to see them at their best and possibly binoculars to see them against the twilight glow. After this, Venus is lost in the twilight and will return to the morning late in June. Now after this, Mercury continues to climb higher in the evening twilight and becomes uh, close to Metsuba, Epsilon Geminorium in the constellation of Gemini on the uh, 7th, 5th to the 7th of June and then begins rapidly sinking back into the twilight glow. Now that's the action in the early evening and twilight. In the late evening, Jupiter and Saturn are rising higher and higher in the sky all this month. So initially the pair, which are around a hand span apart all during the month, are low on the eastern horizon about midnight, but by the beginning of June in the southern hemisphere they are high enough for good telescopic observation. In the enormous hemisphere, the pair remain fairly low to the right horizon. On June the 7th to the 8th in the northern hemisphere and 8th to the 9th in the southern hemisphere, the nearly full moon forms a line with Jupiter and Saturn, so initially at the top of the pair and then below the pair. Interestingly, the 30th of May represents a blue the first quarter moon. Now you're uh, aware of um, blue moons are typically these days the second full moon of a month. But there are other moon phases which occur can occur equally rarely twice in a month. And uh, May has two first quarter moons on the 1st and on the 30th. Now that the moon is moving out of the sky, however, we can begin to appreciate the stars. In the southern hemisphere, the Milky Way is arching across the heavens. And during June, Scorpius is nearly overhead, an uh, exciting hunting ground for clusters of nebula, especially around the tail region. In the northern hemisphere, Scorpius never really gets especially high in the sky, but it's still gorgeous to behold, and it's still a good uh, binocular hunting ground. Now, for us southerners, this is a good time to observe Omega Centauri, the finest globular cluster in the sky. The pointers, Alpha and Beta, which point to the Southern Cross, form a triangle with the brightest star Epsilon um, Centauri, which is about a hand span to the west of the pair of Alpha and Beta Centauri. A further hand span to the west of Epsilon Centauri is a fuzzy star, and this is Omega Centauri. A fuzzy star may not be much to behold, but in binoculars it's a very obvious fuzzy ball, and in telescopes, it's a tangled skein of stars, really beautiful. Now let's turn to the morning sky. This month we can still see all three bright planets, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars in the morning sky, although towards the end of June, Jupiter and Saturn will be heading westwards. They are still excellent telescopic objects in the morning, better than in the evening until late June. On May the 15th to 16th, depending on whether you're in the northern or southern hemisphere, the waning moon is close to Mars. And then again on June the 12th, 13th, the last quarter moon is close to Mars. On June the 6th, there's a penumbral lunar eclipse. This is where the moon brushes through the outer shadow of the Earth. Now, because it's the outer shadow rather than the inner shadow, this is a very weak eclipse. And this particular eclipse is in a week for a penumbral eclipse you may see a slight subtle darkening of the southern moon. Uh, this penumbral eclipse is visible from Australia, Asia, Africa, and parts of Europe and South America, and it's at its maximum at 1925 universal time. 
in Australia. This is in the early morning, and it's really not worth getting up for. Now, we discussed comets last time we were talking about, and we're getting very excited about Comet C 2020 F8 Swan, which was uh, becoming very bright and looking like it might be a good replacement for Comet C 2019 Y4 Atlas. Uh, after a, a brief uh, burst of being very bright, the Comet Swan is fading again and is unlikely to reach third magnitude. Uh, at its brightest on May the 23rd, when it may be visible from the Northern Hemisphere, it's steep in the, the twilight, and uh, now that it's uh, uh, faded, it's unlikely to be visible after all. Now, while Comet uh, C 2019 Y4 Atlas has broken into many fragments, and uh, those fragments are beginning to fade away, Fragment A is brightening. Now, it won't become uh, visible to the unaided eye, but it's still interesting for telescopic viewers. Another possible comet is C2020 F3 NeoWise, which is brightening, uh, and it may achieve unaided eye visibility in July, uh, but during June it is sliding down Orion and may visit visible telescopically in the early evening. And that's all the action in the evening skies over the next month. Look up, enjoy, and I hope you have a great time watching them. Next up, Ian's Tangent. Hello and welcome to the May-June Tangent. In our last tangent, we discussed the breakup of Comet C-2019 Atlas. Now, losing a bright unaided eye comet is sad, but not uncommon. But to lose an eye on a tire planet, that's an entirely different kettle of fish. And this is what happened to Fomalout B. Speaking of fish, Fomalout is the brightest star in the constellation of Vicinus Finum, the southern fish, currently just east of Mars in the morning sky. Fomalout is also known informally as the Eye of Sauron because of the appearance of the dust disk around it, nearly face on. It does look remarkably like Sauron's eye from the movie Lord of the Rings. Now, back in 2008, it was reported that Fomalout had a planet, Fomalout B, one of the first directly imaged exoplanets. The planet was picked up in images from 2004, 2006, 2008, 2010, and 2012. But when Hubble tried to image it again in 2014, it had vanished. So what had happened? Now, quite often we come across marginal exoplanet detections when a planet is found by tiny wobbles it makes in a star's spectrum, uh, shifting it backwards and forwards through the Doppler effect, or tiny wobbles in the uh, planet star's position in the sky, the possibility of a spurious detection is high. And again, in Formula B's case, where it was detected uh, directly, by imaging, you have to subtract out of the glare of the host star. So errors could arise while doing the subtraction, which could result in a spurious image. But Fomalite B was detected four times in a consistent orbit. Now, Fomalite B was always a bit strange. It seemed too bright for its mass and didn't disturb Fomalite's famous dust ring, the Eye of Sauron, and it was suspected to have its own dust disk. So, a recently, paper went back and analysed additional Hubble Space Telescope data and finding that the, the object that we think of as Fomalite B was rather than being on an elliptical orbit around a star, on a radial trajectory, that is, facing away from Fomalhaut and out into space. Not only that, the object Fomalhaut B started to abruptly increase in size and fade. 
exactly a formula out B was an expanding cloud of Deborah's rather than a solid planet. Formula out B appears to be a directly imaged catastrophic collision between two large planetesimals in an extrasolar planetary system. Estimates put the two asteroids at roughly 200 kilometers in diameter, around the size of the asteroid Psyche, one of the most massive asteroids in our asteroid belt. Now we've seen asteroids come apart before. Asteroids Gold and P2013R3 have both come apart recently. But those seem to be due to an effect called warp, where sunlight shining on the asteroids causes them to spin up, so they become rotate too fast to hold together and fall apart. Then we have the case of asteroid 596 Sheila, which seems to be an example of an asteroid collision. Discovered back in 1906, it was a fairly ordinary asteroid until 11 December 2010, where it developed a coma and uh, debris. And observations suggested this was a true uh, asteroid collision, not a spin-up of seen with gold. Now, as we've seen, asteroid collisions, especially massive ones, are quite rare. And therefore, to catch an exoplanet uh, asteroid collision is extraordinary indeed. And thus, so we add the mystery of the disappearing exoplanet uh, to the, the catalogue of astronomical objects we quite, quite like falling apart um, when we want to keep on watching them. And that's our tangent for this week. And indeed, it is a tangent because uh, Fomalout B's uh, debris is shooting out of it on a tangent from Fomalout uh, itself. Thank you for listening and good night. Thanks, Ian. And in four weeks' time, you'll hear back from Dr. Ian Musgrave with his June-July Sky Guide and another fantastic astronomical tangent. Till then, take care, look after yourself and your loved ones. Radio Wave.